You know, part of the fun of ministry is when you get to connect with other brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I became very good friends with my friend Bill Foote, who's pastor, who we actually helped plant that church here in Orange County, Grace Springs Bible Church, a little over five years ago. Bill Foote came back from being a missionary in England, and I had served with Bill in England a number of years back. And he kind of settled here in our church, and he and his wife Carrie and son Taylor became a part of this congregation. And for about two years, they served here and were active here in the ministry. And then it was just determined, everybody could see it. We knew what the Lord was doing. We decided as a church to, to plant Bill And he became the senior pastor at Grace Springs Bible Church. And they're in Irvine, and they're doing great. But God laid on Bill's heart a couple of years ago um, to begin to pray for those that are hurting in our community here in Orange County, particularly those who are homeless and in the area of sex trafficking here in our own county. And guys, it's a lot worse than you think. And God laid it on Bill's heart and his church to do something about it. And so with that, I wanted Bill to come today and, and share the word with you, but also to share what God is doing now through a new missions organization that God has laid on Bill's heart called, called Grace Missions OC, and it really is reaching out and making a difference in our community. So I want to call up Bill. Bill, why don't you come on up, brother? And we're going to have him preach, but also I want to pray uh, that the Lord use him in the teaching of his word. and. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for, for good friends in ministry. And uh, Lord, just how you work on our hearts through your spirit. And so, Father, I pray now as Bill brings us the word, but also what you've been doing, Lord, within his own heart, within his church, and, and in our own community, Father, I pray that you would use this message to stir our hearts, Lord, to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, guys, turn over to Mark 1. Like I told the first uh, service, it's always so good to come back here. I feel like your family. I have so many friends here, and uh, I'm always excited when I get a chance to see all of you again. But let's go ahead and pray, then we'll dig into the Word here. Father, we thank you so much that we can be here. And Lord, uh, we need you to fall upon us. Father, without you, we're nothing. Without you, anybody proclaiming your truth. But it's going to fall flat because we understand that the Spirit must be involved to open hearts, to illuminate the truth, to empower the words that come forth, Lord, unless you're involved, they're just words. And so, Lord, I bring my weakness before you and ask that you would give me your power. Pray that you would help me in the proclamation of this message so that it bears fruit for the glory of your Son. Lord, that's what we want to see. We want to see your Son honored today. And so be here with us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I love the book of Mark. Mark is a book of action, and it's a book where you see Jesus so clearly, what he's about, what he's like. Early part, in the early part of Mark, you see his authority over the demonic realm and over disease. And in the passage before us, though, we see what we could call his priorities, the priorities of Christ. And they're threefold here, the priority of prayer, the priority of preaching, and then the priority of pity. Let's look at the priority of prayer. That's Mark one thirty-five. 
says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He gets up early so he can be alone with the Father and have some undistracted time. And to know the background here shows us how important Jesus thought prayer was. Because the night before, he had been up late at night ministering. I mean, he had become very popular by this time, right? I mean, he was healing people. He was casting out demons. And so everywhere he went, there was massive mobs of people, big crowds. And so the night before, he was at Simon's house, and the crowds were big, and he was up late ministering, he was healing, he was delivering from demons. He was just absolutely exhausted, I'm sure, when he crawled into bed. Yet here we see him early in the morning out by himself praying. Why does Scripture point that out? Well, I think it's because Jesus is our example. And the way he is showing us the way we should live, he is showing us what our priorities should be. Listen, brothers and sisters, you'll have no passion for God. You'll have no power to live for God if you don't pray. It's that simple, isn't it? Vance Habner said this, prayer is not the least we can do, it is the most. To attempt any work for God without prayer is as futile as trying to launch a a space probe with a pea shooter. We need more Christians for whom prayer is the first resort, not the last. The Puritans called that early morning hour the rudder of the day. I like that. The rudder of the day. I believe it was Samuel Rutherford who said that. And what that means is if you want your day pointed towards God, start your day with God because that early morning hour is going to point you. So Jesus is praying when Simon and the others come looking for him. Uh, Let's look at the priority of preaching is next. Mark 136 through 38. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. So why were they searching for him? Because everybody was looking for him, right? Probably another crowd had shown up at Simon's house like the night before, and they were looking for Jesus. And I think we hear a bit of rebuke here from Peter. Jesus, what are you doing out here? everybody's looking for you. You're a hit. You're big time. Go back and ride this wave of popularity. You've made it, man. You're successful. Simon Peter just wanted to act rather than wait on God's will. What he wanted to do, and a lot of people do this, is they just want to do what makes sense. Listen, it makes sense to go back to the crowd. But Jesus is praying, and he's getting direction for the next step. And God doesn't always give us the next step that makes sense, what we think it should be. Many times he'll show us something that we go, well, that doesn't make much sense at all, really, but I know God's telling me to do it, and as we step into that plan, he blesses it. Rather than going back to Capernaum, he heads out of town. Mark 138 says, and he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. So I don't think Jesus was about numbers. I mean, when he left earth, he had 120 followers, didn't he? I don't think Jesus was about being a superstar. I'm going to go back and bask in the limelight. Yeah, I'm going to go let them praise me. This is awesome. You know what? He was all about doing the Father's will.
That was it. And you know what, brothers and sisters? That's success. Success isn't huge numbers. Success isn't this or that that we think on a human level success is. You want to be successful? Get your Bible out, read it, and follow it, and you'll be successful. Jeremiah, do you think he was a failure? Jeremiah, when he went up to heaven, do you think everybody's looking at him, shaking their head, and go, epic fail, brother? He didn't have one convert, but I guarantee you he entered into heaven abundantly because he simply did what God told him to do. That's success in heaven's eyes. So Jesus is getting direction for the next step. And the next step wasn't to go back to Capernaum. It was to go into the next villages and preach. And so that's our next priority. I must go and preach. Meeting physical needs is important, but temporal. These people are still going to die, and they're still going to face God in judgment. So I think we have a very nice balance here. Jesus cared about the physical and he cared about the spiritual. You see that in Christ. The devil would want to move us to one extreme or the other, wouldn't he? He would want the church to become just a preaching center and we become content with that. Yeah, good teaching, man. Or he would want the church to reach out and become nothing more than a social gospel where we just go out and we meet needs and we meet needs and we meet needs and you say, well, how many people have you told about Jesus? And well, we really don't do that. We just meet physical needs. No, the balance is that we meet physical needs and we tell them about Jesus. As we show them the compassion of Christ through meeting their needs, that opens their hearts to the love of Christ, doesn't it? As we're handing out, we were saying, we're doing this because Jesus loves you. As we go out to the homeless, we're doing this because Jesus loves you. We're just a messenger from him that he loves you, that he cares for you. And as you do that, then it opens their heart to spiritual truth. So the day before we saw Jesus meeting physical needs, now he stresses spiritual truth. He was doing both. Physical compassion opened the ears to spiritual truth. So we have the priority of prayer and the priority of preaching, but I think we can fall short in the next priority of Christ. And this is where I want to spend our time. This is where I want to talk about Grace Missions OC. The priority of pity. Look at Mark 139 through 42. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, in, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. So we have prayer preaching and pity. Prayer lights the preaching on fire and fills the heart with pity or compassion. We become like who we hang around, don't we? And listen, if you hang around Jesus Christ in prayer, you're going to become like him. And what you're going to see is your heart's going to start being filled with compassion because that's what he's like. To fully grasp what is happening here, we must understand some background on the leper. Because that's what makes this such a powerful lesson, that it's who Jesus was reaching out to, the leper. So what was a leper like back in these days? Well, according to the Mosaic law, the leper was considered unclean. That's Leviticus 13, 45 through 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. 
He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Well, when I read that, I think, man, that sounds harsh. But as you understand what leprosy is, leprosy was highly contagious and you couldn't allow it to spread. Therefore, it was necessary to protect the health of the community and to isolate the the leper away from the community. Leprosy hits its victims with a powerful one-two punch, physically and emotionally. The disease was brutal physically because parts of the body became twisted and disfigured. What leprosy does is it deadens the nerves so that you can't feel anything at all. Therefore, they might suffer burns that would melt the skin off, but they didn't feel it. They couldn't feel that their hand was on a fire. And then that skin, that that burn would get infected. Or they might lose toes and fingers as rats nibbled them off while they slept because they couldn't feel it. But the, the disease was also brutal emotionally. The leper became a social outcast. He was isolated from the life of the community. He could never be near anyone. He was forced to drive them away. As they approached, he would have to cry out, unclean, unclean, adding more humiliation to what he already suffered because of his appearance. Now he's forced to draw attention to himself and to that appearance by yelling out, unclean. Who knows the last time this man that Jesus is dealing with had experienced the touch of another human being? In Luke's account, this man was covered with leprosy. In other words, it was advanced stages. That means he had had the disease for years. If he had a wife, he would not have known her touch for years. If he had children, they would would have been forced to keep their distance from him. So no embrace, no hugs, no kisses, no holding hands, and it's proven that human beings need the touch of another human being to be healthy. It's not uncommon for a lonely person to do things like go and get their hair cut once a week just to have human contact. That's how badly it's needed. So this leper, who knows the last time he had any human human contact? And to add to this emotional pain, the Pharisees piled on unnecessary regulations. They said it was illegal to even greet a leper. So no smiles, no waves, no acknowledgement at all. It was like they didn't even exist. This was the man's experience for many years, and it's that back. That black backdrop that paints a beautiful picture of how compassionate Jesus was. Somehow this man felt he could approach Jesus and would be accepted. This man who couldn't approach anybody could still approach Jesus. How different Jesus must have been in the midst of a society that kept pushing that man away. What an example he is to us, brothers and sisters. Society is cold and harsh and brutal and angry, isn't it? The Christian is to bring warmth into it. The Christian is to bring love into it, God's love, God's compassion, God's pity. So he approaches Jesus close enough to be touched, and he bows before him. And Matthew says, Matthew 8, 2, about this man, And behold, the leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will make me clean. Or Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Lord, I think he saw something divine in Jesus. He believed that he was sent from God. And then he had great faith. I'm amazed at this man's faith. He said, Lord, you have authority over disease. You can make me clean if you want to. In other words, 
He says, this leprosy will bow to you just like I am doing if you want it to bow to you, Jesus. Lord, you can do that. I know you can do it. Look at verse 41. Here's Jesus' compassionate response. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be, and said to him, I will be clean. Let me read that one again. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Jesus wasn't disgusted like all the others. He was filled with compassion, the NIV says. This means that Jesus felt his pain. It means that he entered into that pain with him. And the only thing I can think of that would compare to this is when your child or somebody you really love gets sick. You suffer, don't you? You enter into that pain too. It's not a distant thing. You suffer with them, and that's Jesus right now. He is suffering with this man. One writer called this gut-wrenching compassion. Jesus lovingly stretches out his hand toward this man that nobody wanted to touch. And how that touch must have reverberated through him. Can you imagine? He hadn't been touched for years. Years, as my voice goes weird. Hadn't been touched for years. And all of a sudden, Jesus touches him. That must have just gone through his body like, wow. I imagine him looking into the eyes of Jesus, and for the first time, he sees no revulsion. No nervous glancing around to see where he could move to create some distance. You know what he saw? He saw love. He saw compassion. He saw kindness and mercy. He saw God's eyes, and he saw God's heart. He hears these wonderful words, I will be clean. And the one who was so used to hearing words mocking him and the children ridiculing him now hears God's voice loving him. Of course, of course I want to be clean. Look at verse 42, the powerful results. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. I wonder what that felt like. Did divine power shoot through his body like a shockwave? I can picture him sitting there, and he holds up his hands, and he goes, fingers, they're all there. Look, they're all there. Ten, ten, one, two, three, ten. And he looks down, and he sees his toes, and he goes, ten toes. Toenails. I have toenails. Toes. He looks at his skin, and it's no longer white and flaky. It's pink and healthy. Jesus gave this man back his life. That's what he does. That's what our Lord does, right? He reaches into the desperation of people, into their knees, and he gives them back their life. That's what he does. Let me tell you what I think that should mean to us as God's people what the Lord is speaking to me. It's all about practical compassion. Let me tell you how stories like this started to affect me. I've lived a life wanting to promote Christ and His truth and see souls one, but there was something missing, something wrong. I love teaching the Bible and I have a passion for accurate theology, but I kept running into stories like this one where Jesus was reaching out to those who were poor 
and needy. And I saw all the scriptures that I had somehow kind of conveniently looked beyond. The scriptures about compassion for the oppressed, God's heart for the oppressed. And I felt even though I really cared about accurate Bible exposition, something was missing. I looked at the churches all around me, and they were so professional. The worship groups seemed so polished. Many of the churches were packed out. But it seemed like in so many, there was something missing. I heard a whole lot of gospel messages and preached many myself. Messages, I believe, accurately proclaimed the good news of our Lord. But something was missing in so many of the churches I observed, even though the gospel message was correct. And even more painfully, there was something missing in me in the church I pastored. As I prayed, it hit me. I saw what was missing. As I looked at Christ's life and the church and me, there was a glaring disconnect. We have polished up Christianity until it is squeaky clean and sterile. But didn't our Lord come to earth to get his hands dirty? Didn't he leave the comfort zone to enter into the desperation and the needs of others? I'm supposed to be like him. I didn't know what to do. All I could do was start crying out. So I began to pray and pray and pray. For two years I prayed, Lord, help us to get our hands dirty in the society around us, and I don't even know where to start. Lord, help me. Tell me what to do. Help us to get involved in the needs of the hurting around us. Don't let us be Sunday-only Christians who make no difference the rest of the week. We say we want to be like Jesus, like I said. Sounds great, doesn't it? Man, that sounds spiritual. I want to be like Jesus. Oh, well done. But go the next step. What was Jesus like? And again and again we're told he was moved with pity, with compassion for those with needs. He didn't isolate himself from the poverty, from the needs. He moved towards it. He entered into the pain of those people. And you see it clearly in Mark, in Mark 6, after a day of exhausting ministry again, he tried to take his disciples away for rest. And in Mark 6.34, it says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Compassion in the Greek means an intense, deep feeling of tender mercy. While his disciples looked at, looked at this crowd as nothing more than an irritant, get rid of them. They're a pain. Jesus saw their pain and how lost they were. The disciples wanted to move away from the crowd, but Jesus moved towards them instead because he loved them. He was showing us how we are to live. These stories are here to disciple us. They're here to give us an example Colossians 3.12, Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. In other words, because you're God's chosen, because you're holy and beloved, put on compassion. Act like Jesus did. The believer is told he is to care about the poor and the oppressed around them. Proverbs 14.31, he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Psalm 9, 9, the Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. So the Lord began to work this out in my life. 
I saw the lack of the church. Let me make that more personal. I saw the lack of myself reaching out to those in my own backyard. I saw the scriptures about the poor, the hurting, the oppressed. It bothered me. It convicted me because I wasn't doing anything about any of that. I was satisfied in preaching the Bible, satisfied in trying to be accurate. But it started to hit me, God, I just don't want to be religious. Deliver me from that. I don't want to play at this, at this thing. If I was going to claim to follow Christ, then I wanted to follow him all the way. I started to pray, Lord, make this real, burden my heart with your purposes. God, open my eyes to where we can get involved with the needs. Help us to get our hands dirty. Like I said, I prayed that for two years, and then the Lord finally began to show me what I was to do. And out of that prayer, we started Grace Missions OC. That was the beginning of Grace Missions OC. OC because its missions focused on our own backyard, on Orange County. I love overseas missions, don't get me wrong. I was an overseas missionary for 11 years, and I was a mission pastor before that. I've sent many people, helped many people to get overseas. So I am a huge fan of overseas missions. But I think we make a big mistake when we think that is the only mission field, that we have to somehow get on a plane and fly eight hours, and then we're finally in the mission field. Brothers and sisters, you're in the mission field as soon as you go outside those doors. That is your mission field. God is sovereign and he has placed you here. Acts says that he has determined where you live. He has determined where you live. He's placed you where you are because he wants you to make a difference in that mission field. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why did he start with Jerusalem? Because that's a city they lived in. No, don't think that you'll be a missionary and you'll do some work for the Lord when you finally get to whatever it is, the Philippines or this or that. Be a missionary where you are. It starts there and then it spreads out. So Grace Missions OC was started to show practical compassion. It was started to take the teaching that we hear on Sunday out onto the streets on Monday intentionally reaching out to the poor, needy, and oppressed as God has told us to do. Listen, here's one of the parables that really bothered me was the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And I thought, Lord, I don't want to be like that rich man eating his fine food in his fine house in Luke 16 while Lazarus was right outside longing for a crumb. Lord, help me to take the crumb out. Help me to take something out and help him. What did the Lord have us to do? At this moment, Grace Missions OC has a three-pronged mission. I'm hopefully it'll expand. But right now, this is where we're at. To the lost, to the homeless, and to the trafficked. We started out, first of all, reaching out to the homeless in our area. I had no idea how many there were. I had no idea that when you get off the street and you get 50 yards into some bushes, there's probably a homeless camp there. Right outside our door, right where we live, there's a homeless camp. I had no idea. I've driven down these streets hundreds, thousands of times. had no idea. You get over this little hedge and there's homeless living there. And it's everywhere in Orange County. They're all tucked into these little camps off the road. 
And it was interesting to me, really interesting to me, when I started talking about we need to do something about the homeless. Man, I got all kinds of kickback for that. I didn't get a lot of people going, oh, that's right, brother. Got a lot of kickback, a lot of objections, a lot of reasons why we shouldn't. Let me give you just a couple. Here's the first one I heard a lot. A lot of those people just want to live on the street. Really? You know what that's called? Typecasting. That's painting with a broad brush because that's a lie. There are a lot of people that I have met on the street that don't want to be there, that are scared to death because they're there. Let me give you just a couple stories. There's Christine, whose husband left her. Then she lost her job at Starbucks. Listen, she didn't choose the street for her and her boy, but that's where she is. There's Nancy, who lost her business and condo during the, during the economic crash, who moved in with friends. She had a stroke, and the friends couldn't deal with it. You know what they did? They dropped her off in a parking lot in her car and said, you're smart, you'll figure it out. She didn't want that, but that's where she is. She's still living in that car. You know, there is a new problem, and it's this. There's, it's the working homeless. Rent in Orange County is so expensive that you can work 40 hours a week and never afford a house, never afford an apartment. And so you have this growing segment of the homeless community that are living rough, that are living out there without any shelter because they're working 40 hours a week. They're still working 40 hours a week, and they can't afford a place. That's a growing segment of the homeless. And the reality is this. So many people live one paycheck away from the street. I mean, I talk to these guys. I'll sit and talk. I love hearing their stories. I say, how did you get here? You know what I hear all the time? I never dreamed this would happen to me. I don't want to be here. I never dreamed this would happen to me. Here's another objection. A lot of those people are on drugs. That's why they're there. You know what? That's true in some cases. But should that keep us away? Listen, I get it. They've made stupid choices, but so have I. I am so grateful that God has shown me compassion through Jesus Christ, somebody as foolish as me, who has made as many bad, bad choices as I have. Shouldn't I show the same compassion that Christ has shown to me? And they may be hooked on drugs, but who better to take to them than Jesus Christ? I know somebody that can rescue you. I know somebody that can turn your life around. You've got to meet my Savior. You've got to meet my Lord. He can help you. He can do what nobody else can do. He can rescue you from your drugs. He can rescue you from addiction. He can put your life back together again, just like he did with the leper. Why wouldn't we go to somebody on drugs with Jesus? Why would that keep us away? That's their solution. That's their hope. When you leave, read the story about Sophie. I've got a story out there on the tables, and it's titled, The Day I Felt Like Christ. To show somebody who was on the street, uh, she was addicted to alcohol, but she didn't want to be there. She wanted to be clean. Our ministry to the homeless is different than most. Many ministries go to Skid Row in L.A., or the riverbed, Santa Ana Riverbed, which is now called Skid River. We go out and we find the homeless in our area. We hunt for them. We go into the wilderness areas and we find them. And it's a little sketchy because you never know who's going to come out. You're in the middle of this field. Nobody knows where you are and you have no idea who's going to come out from the camp, from the tent. You know, is he going to be tweaking on meth? 
and what are you going to face? But you know what? The Lord's kept us safe. And we go down into the bushes and, and we tell them about Jesus and we invite them to a Bible study and we tell them about Second Impressions uh, thrift store where they can go in and get whatever they need for no cost. I love it. Second Impressions thrift store. Pray for them. They're a beautiful, wonderful ministry. And we're linked in. Grace Missions OC is linked in with Second Impressions thrift store. That's one of the things the Lord's doing. He's linking in Grace Missions OC with all of these ministries now. I'm amazed at what he's doing. We'll look for them on the streets. We'll search in places they can hide. We'll tell them about Jesus, and we'll invite them to a Bible study. And you know what? They're coming to the Bible study, and that Bible study is going every week. There's more. It's growing. The Lord's doing something. He's moving. We're just sitting back going, wow, Lord, can't believe this. And so we're reaching out to the homeless. We also discovered, this broke my heart, I discovered an article, I think it was up on Facebook, where a sex trafficking ring was busted right around our church in Irvine. Squeaky clean Irvine. I didn't think anything bad ever happened there. And here's a, it was a a worldwide sex trafficking ring, and they were using those upscale apartments for brothels. And what they do is they bring in girls from, these beautiful girls from Asia, and they'll say, you know what, we can give you the American dream. You know, these girls are living in poverty. They don't know where their next meal is going to come from or their family's next meal. They say, we can give you the American dream. Not only will you make enough money for you and live this luxury life, but you'll have enough to send back to your parents. And so they get over here, and the first thing they do is take their passport and lock them in a room. And they threaten these girls and say, we will kill you or we will kill your parents if you don't do what we want. They break them down until these girls are nothing more than sex slaves for these men. I read one girl's story. Uh, she was 13 years old, trafficked out of a mall. And what they did was, they, these guys are, are good at what they do. Went up to this 13-year-old girl and said, you know, we love the way you do your makeup. You know, we do makeup for uh, really rich people and you know, famous people. We'd like you to help. We love what you're doing there. Why don't you meet with us? So she's all excited, and she goes and meets with them. You know what they do? They kidnapped her locked her in a bedroom, and then uh, threatened her parents till she finally broke down and said, I'll do whatever you want, just don't kill my family. And she was years, she was a sex slave. We're linking up with ministries to reach out to those girls who are trafficked. There's 300,000 sex slaves in the United States right now. Now, we think it couldn't happen in our area, not in Orange County, it's happening everywhere here. So we go out on Friday nights onto the streets and we're reaching out to the, we don't like calling them prostitutes because they're victims. And so we reach out to the girls who are victims and we offer them, we have safe houses. We say, you can be free. You don't have to be doing this. You can, get, you can be free. And we even have education programs. We can teach you. We can get you involved in college. We can give you, you know, a life again. So we have all these resources to get them out ways they can be educated, you know, because they don't want to be there. I hear this. This is another one I hear. always shocks me. Well, you know what? They're just out there making money. You know what? They don't get a penny. These girls, let me see if I can say this. This breaks my heart. Absolutely breaks my heart. These girls are raped 20 to 30 times a night. That's what they call it. They don't get a penny. 
This is the new drug, sex trafficking. Trafficking is a $150 billion a year industry. But you know why it's called the new drug? Is because the pusher or the pimp doesn't have to keep buying product. You know, you sell cocaine, you sell meth or whatever, you got to keep buying it to sell it again. You buy a girl, you have her for years. And you never have to replace her. You know, they say you get five girls, you'll be a millionaire. You can make a million dollars a year with five girls. And the girls are cheap. You can buy them anytime. This is happening right in our neighborhoods. These traffickers, moms and dads, grandparents, you have to know this stuff. These traffickers are on the internet and they're experts at seducing your kids to come and meet them. They're in the malls. They're experts at finding kids and getting them to come and meet them. They're in the high schools. I was talking to a guy um, who was over a trafficking ministry. He said every high school in Orange County has traffickers in it now. And what they do is they have these girls that they've given all kinds of clothes to and, you know, and they say, well, look for the girls who come in and they're kind of disgruntled. And so this girl comes in and says, you know what, my parents are jerks. And this girl grows up to her and says, you know what, parents are jerks. Let me tell you, let me introduce you to some people that are fantastic. I mean, do you like this iPhone? They bought me this. This blouse, they bought me this. I love these guys. You got to come meet them. That's happening in every high school. Gosh, you got to wake up. That's part of what the Lord's doing is, I think, is he wants us to get out and educate at Grace Missions OC. The more I read these statistics, the more my heart is broken, the more I'm locked on, Lord, We've got to do something. Did I say 300,000 sex slaves in the United States right now? And most of them are not from Asia. Most of them are American citizens that have been kidnapped or have been seduced into it. We're out at the spectrum. We go to the OC Fair, many other places with regular evangelism. I mean, I prayed, Lord, get our hands dirty. And it's like, wow, okay. <laughs> he answered that prayer big time. He's giving us so much to do. Things are happening so quickly. I can't keep up with it. But praise God, he's starting to raise up people around me. He's, got, he's raised up an administrator who's helping me, who's just fantastic, has such a heart for this. My heart is always beat for missions. I was a mission pastor and then a missionary, like I said, but I had missed the truth that I'm, that I'm supposed to be a missionary in my own backyard. My mission field is the neighbor to the left of me and to the right. It's the homeless person who just needs somebody to show them the love of Christ. It's the girl being used in the most horrendous ways for a buck. I spent the first 40 years of my Christian life consumed with knowing accurate theology. I'm still consumed by that. Theology fan. But you know what? Theology is meant to put action into your life. Listen, you're just a cold theologian if it doesn't. And your theology, what is it good for? James says that faith that doesn't lead to action is dead. Paul said in Titus 2.13, or 2.13-14, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. If I could leave you with anything, it would be this. You are living in your mission field. You are living in your mission field. God has put you there to make a difference. 
So let me just close quickly with this. It's all about the support. I hate raising support, so I'm not fancy and I'm not good at it. And so I'll just say this. This is what we're doing. If you want to get behind it and support us through finances, support us through prayer. I mean, you know what? Ever since we've gotten involved in this, the spiritual warfare in my life, I mean, it's gone from here to... We're in... The darkness we're involved in right now amazes me. Sex trafficking is as dark as you can get. And so pray for me, please. The, the warfare is increasing. And I, to be honest, I'm, I'm heartbroken at the same time. I'm so excited about this ministry that we can make a difference in these girls' lives and homeless lives. And, you know, so what happened? Let me tell you what happened. I'll just explain it real quick. Um, what happened was our church is doing fine, but it's a small church and a pastor usually can't support themselves fully from a small church. And so I went to Rob and Jim, I went to our board members. I said, here's the deal. I'm going to turn back in a huge portion of my paycheck. I'm going to give the salary back to the church. And so here's what I can do. And I was working like, now this is exploding. I'm probably working 65 hours a week with all this. I said, what do you guys think I should do? And so the advice was raise support. You're a missionary. Raise support as a missionary so you can continue to do what you're doing. And so I got the advice, raise support as a missionary. So here's, here I am. I'm a lousy support raiser, but... <laughs> you know what? God's good. If, if you know, pray, at least pray for us what we're doing. But if God puts it on your heart, we'd appreciate your support. And I've got a table out there. Sign up for the newsletter. I'm going to put out a newsletter every month, what we're doing and the results and all that. I have a few ways to support what we're doing. You can sign up for the newsletter. You can give financially. We're also praying about people that can help with things like websites, graphic artists, those kind of guys. Because I thought, you know, when this started, I thought, well, this is, we'll just kind of ramp up a little bit. I'll do it because I'm a graphic artist. I'll take care of the website. I'll do this. I'll, and this thing just absolutely exploded. And I've, had, I've got no time for nothing. <laughs> nothing. And so if you know how to do a website or something like that, we could really use your help to get this thing ramped up because uh, the Lord's blessing it. Anyway, I'm done yelling around. Thank you for listening. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we can get involved as your people. God, and I do pray for these girls that are out there. Lord, just slaves doing what they don't want to do, living in fear, terror. God, help them. Use us to get to them and help them, Lord. Father, we do pray for the homeless around us and those, Lord, who are working 40 hours a week and can't afford an apartment. God, something's got to be done. Use us, Lord. Use all of us to help them. Lord, even those who are on drugs, Father, you give lives back again. I pray, Lord, as we're trying to get a few of them into rehab right now, Lord, I pray they would listen. I pray you'd rescue them. Lord, for the evangelism, Lord, we, as we evangelize to Muslims, and I just, uh, Lord, use us. Use us, Lord, to tell people about you. God, we just want to see souls saved. Rescue them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks, guys.